0: Jack Donald Lewis, known to his enormous family and devout fans as a big cat expert and businessman extraordinaire, was a shrewd and incredibly successful leader of the exotic animal enterprise. His deep-rooted connection with tending to wildlife and building businesses, as well as his unparalleled real estate resourcefulness was cut short by an unexplainable, unsolved disappearance on August 18th, 1997 leaving all who knew him across Tampa, Florida, grasping for answers in a sea of evidence that drowned us all in doubt. As a hope to provide more substantial reasoning built on observable evidence and situational analysis, this is an examination of the disappearance of Don Lewis and the dumbfounding mystery born at his famous Wildlife on Easy Street. This is Cold Case Detective. Don Lewis was born as Jack Donald Lewis on April 30th, 1938 in Dade City, Florida. In Don's early years as a child, his father abandoned the family and left Don's mother to raise him and his two siblings. While Don's mother did her best to support her children through freelance gigs as a 4 hire seamstress and bread baker, her income wasn't quite enough. Thus to help aid his mother and take care of the family, Don started working at a young age, forming the foundation to his business ethics. As an adolescent, Don helped out a local mechanic and worked as a farmhand for nearby ranch owners and successfully graduated from Pasco High School in 1955. When he was only 17 years old, Don married his first wife, known today as Gladys Lewis Cross. Together, the couple had three daughters and adopted a son just as Don continued to expand his economic prowess. He worked countless odd jobs around Florida and eventually settled in the used car business and automotive trade. Slowly but surely, Don built his brand, scrapping old machines, selling parts and metal resources, while simultaneously investing in real estate opportunities. Don would buy parcels of land to develop and resell, sometimes keeping tracts of land for himself for future business ideas. Before long, Don was a self-made millionaire and the prime example of the American dream in action, starting from nothing and forging his own path to success. Friends and associates of Don would say that no one could tell his success just by looking at him. He always dressed like a normal laborer and kept his public life simple. However, he would keep a $500 bill in his pocket at all times, a symbol of his ability to turn anything he touched into profits, a true green thumb. However, Don's personal life wasn't quite so perfect. It was a well-known fact after his first marriage that he was a womanizer and often found mistresses or second girlfriends to take care of, despite having the family back home. One such instance occurred in 1981 when Don met a young woman named Carol Murdoch at the time on Nebraska Avenue in Tampa, Florida. Carol was walking alone at night and crying after struggling with her then husband, Michael Murdoch. Don asked Carol if she needed a ride and initially Carol rejected him. However, Don circled around in his truck anyway, even offering the gun in his passenger seat to Carol to use as protection while he drove, explaining that he needed someone to talk to as well. Carol finally agreed. And after conversing with one another for a while, Carol stayed with him that night and the two fell in love. Of course, this sent shockwaves through Don's family and tensions arose between him and his then wife, Gladys. Nevertheless, Don continued his relationship with Carol who joined his real estate business and helped increase his profits through major land sales. Not long afterwards, Don and Carol's relationship became too serious to ignore and they divorced their respective spouses and married in 1991. With the excess money from Don's empire, he brought his new cat-loving wife, a bobcat called Wind Song at an auction. The couple then began buying big cats from a breeder in Minnesota who was planning on slaughtering them for the fur trade. As was perhaps in his nature, Don viewed this as another chance to create a business and in 1992, founded Wildlife on Easy Street with Carol and what would later become Big Cat Rescue. Carol, however, thought the initiative should be a charity and not just for profit, but Don disagreed and slowly tensions arose between the two. Over the next few years, Don continued developing wildlife on easy Street and started buying more animals. In 1995, he bought his first tiger from Dennis Hall and around the same time was beginning the process of taking his beloved emporium and moving it to Costa Rica where he'd been buying vast tracts of land and making connections and associates on the tropical island. At the same time, others began thinking that Don was using Costa Rica as a means to attract women unbeknownst to Carol and escaping away with Costa Rican mistresses. This continued to damage the pair's relationship, and soon it fell beyond repair. In early 1997, Don Lewis began preparing for divorce, gathering his assets together and planning for a future away from Carol. Carol claims that at this same time, he began showing early signs of dementia, his short-term memory declining while digging through dumpsters and collecting junk for seemingly no good reason. Don's lawyer and business associates later said this wasn't proven and they had never witnessed Don in a worsening state of mind. Regardless, Don's frantic behavior did include a growing fear of Carroll and in June of 1997, he filed a restraining order against her after she verbally threatened to kill him. According to Don, Carroll was in possession of multiple guns, but the courts never granted him protection due to her freedoms of speech under the First Amendment, and they felt she posed no true physical harm to him. Don was a worried man, and soon his paranoia was proven correct when, at the end of that same summer, The threats, confusion, and anxiety gave way to a tragic mystery. Let us now review the timeline of events that led to the disappearance of Don Lewis. In June of 1997, Don Lewis begins exhibiting signs of paranoia, anxiety, and fear centering around his then wife, Carol Lewis, now known as Carol Baskin. He gives his executive assistant at the time, Anne McQueen, an envelope containing a restraining order against Carol to be submitted to the local courts. This document contains unnerving quotes by Don, such as, quote, "'This is the second time Carol has gotten angry enough "'to threaten to kill me. "'Carol got in a big fuss. "'She ordered me out the house or she would kill me. "'She has a 45 revolver "'and she took my 357 and hid it.'" Later that June, the Florida courts deny protection from the restraining order, saying Carol is no immediate threat and that the First Amendment granting free speech allows her to say such things without consequence. Throughout the summer, Don's erratic behavior continues. He tells his former wife, Gladys, and a couple of their children to stay away from Carol, that he's done with her and planning to divorce her. He speaks his final words to them, saying Carol is one of the worst people and quite dangerous. Not long after this encounter, Don repeats the same information about his probable divorce to business associate Wendell Williams. Don signals to Wendell that he is putting most of his possessions in a protective state that would allow him to keep most of what he owned and away from a settlement. Sometime in July of 1997, Don gets together with another friend, Mike McCarthy, and tells him that he feels his life is in danger. As July turns to August, Don informs his lawyer, Joseph Fritz, he's in search of another small passenger plane to add to his collection of planes. He finds one he likes, but the aircraft needs work to be able to fly for longer durations of time. At some point during the first two and a half weeks of that same August, Don has a conversation with his longtime handyman of 15 years, Kenny Farr, while they build a new complex cage for the big cats. Don remarks that he has vague plans of some sorts, plans he never fully explains to Kenny, but is intent on carrying out. At the end of their talk, Don says, quote, "'If I can pull this off, "'it will have been the slickest thing "'I've ever done in my life.'" Before Kenny can ask for clarity, Don leaves to attend a phone call and never finishes his thoughts. It would be the last thing Don ever says to Kenny. On Friday, August 15th, Don's assistant, Anne McQueen, calls Don regarding paperwork for cars he's preparing to take down to Costa Rica. Despite multiple attempts to reach him by phone, Anne isn't able to make contact. Anne continues calling throughout that weekend, but she still has no luck. In the evening of August 17th, Don prepares to drive down to Miami and then travel on to Costa Rica. He tells Carol he needs a truck made available for travel by his handyman, Kenny, but it's unknown if he ever secures one. That night and into the early morning hours of August 18th, Carol makes her own plans to do chores and run errands for the big cat resort. At around 3 a.m., Carol goes to a shop called Albertsons to buy milk byproduct for the cats. Her car breaks down, but she's saved by her brother, a local sheriff's deputy who gives her a ride back to her home. Just a few hours later, a little prior to 6 a.m. on August 18th, 1997, Don Lewis leaves his house to make an early delivery of real estate paperwork to his lawyer's main office, and then to travel to Miami and ultimately Costa Rica. This would be the last confirmed sighting of Jack Donald Lewis. Nearly 36 hours pass by and no one hears from Don. Anne calls Carol with real concern and suggests they get the authorities involved. Carol agrees and at about 1.30 p.m. on August 19th, she telephones law enforcement to officially report Don Lewis as a missing person. In the first 24 hours after the missing persons report is filed, police and a few volunteers comb Don's entire 40-acre property in Tampa, Florida, including the Wildlife on Easy Street Resort. Despite a thorough search, including aerial support, detectives find no clues or anything to suggest they should continue digging at Don's residence. On August 20th, the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office discovers Don's personal van, a 1989 Dodge Ram, parked and abandoned at the Pilot Country Airport in Spring Hill, Florida, about 40 miles away from Don's last appearance at his animal sanctuary. Besides the keys to the van and a briefcase full of insignificant documents, nothing of note is found inside the vehicle and the trail of clues is frozen once again. Over the next four to five days, detectives travel down to Costa Rica to progress the manhunts. While investigating every nook and cranny possible, law enforcement discovers Don had been engaged in extramarital affairs whilst in Costa Rica. They interview possible connections to Don and those who knew of the businessman, but still find zero leads. The only thing remarkable that investigators learn is that two of Don's exotic animals, a pair of ocelots, were shipped out just before Don disappeared, but where they went is still unknown. Initial reports once Don's disappearance reaches national headlines state that they believe Don probably walked away on his own, but as time goes on, both the media and investigators start thinking something more sinister is at play. A few days after the one-year anniversary of Don's vanishing on August 23rd, 1998, Carol refuses to take a polygraph test or allow investigators to carry out an intensive search of her wildlife sanctuary or the meat freezers, citing legal advice from her attorney. Later in 1998, Don Lewis's ex-wife Gladys and their daughters publicly accuse Carol of being responsible for Don's fate and discarding the body via the exotic animals they own. This is heavily refuted by Carol. In August 2002, on the five year and one day mark since he first disappeared, Don is declared legally dead by Carol and his wills are put solely in her possession due to the specific verbiage used in his documents. Nine years later in 2011, Carol is asked one more time by investigators to undergo a polygraph test. Once again, she refuses this request. Over the next decade, countless conspiracies and folktales are created by curious bystanders of the case and by those with ties to Don, his ex-wife Carol and their big cat business. However, John Marascano, the lead homicide detective and spokesman of the investigation for Hillsborough County Sheriff, has shot down any and all gossip in April of 2020, stating that authorities have no prime suspects, no leads, and still no updates regarding the disappearance of Don Lewis, a case just as cold as it had been in that early August morning, 23 years before. Not a lot of physical evidence remains in the Don Lewis disappearance, and without a final phone call recording left over or CCTV footage capturing Don's penultimate movements, there's not much to run with. However, one discovery does provide us at least a hint of what happened to Don before he vanished, even if it does bring more confusion than clarity. The day after Don was reported missing, investigators discovered his 1989 Dodge Ram van discarded at the Pilot Country Airport in Spring Hill, Florida. The airport was about 40 miles, give or take, from Don's personal residence and initially thought to be where he flew out of that August morning. The troubling thing was that almost nothing was left behind in the van and the things that were did not preclude a self-made decision to escape. Inside were the van's keys and Don's briefcase full of random papers. Unfortunately, the police did not impound the vehicle right away, leaving it abandoned in that parking lot, allowing for possible tampering and for critical physical evidence to be removed if there was something hidden on the atomic level. When the police did analyze the forensics, they found nothing but normal traces of Don and a second pair of fingerprints belonging to an auto mechanic, Dale Lively. When law enforcement interviewed Dale, he gave proof of a perfectly innocent explanation, stating a few days before the disappearance, Don had swung by the shop and asked Dale to work on the van. During their interaction, Don also asked Dale to come with him to Costa Rica to help on his land further indicating that Don was fully committed to a southward trip. Dale declined and the van situation became just another dead end in a case full of questions without answers. Many people associated with the case believe the van is a sign that Don was kidnapped and not a sign that he left on his own accord. Detectives agree, thinking the van was planted at the airport either to simply get rid of it or to make investigators think it was Don's final stop. Regardless, the amount of time it took authorities to analyze the insides of the van for forensics creates a massive what if in the search for Don, and it is sadly the biggest clue they've received to date, one which may have been regrettably squandered. With the facts of the case understood, now let's turn to the dominant theories in the case of the disappearance of Don Lewis. Like so many cold cases around the world, the disappearance of Don Lewis has been the fodder for some truly outlandish claims and conspiracies sparked by both family members and those with disdain for Don's former partners. Sadly, these brash and borderline barbaric theories have been glamorized and focused on by one particular documentary series and its ensuing publicity. So we will do our best to dissect each theory with clarity and reasoning backed by evidence to properly respect the facts of the case and the man who went missing. It's our belief that truth and respect to the facts of the case should always take precedence. And it is insulting to Don Luce's memory and potentially damaging to his case to sacrifice these in the pursuit of an over-dramatized, quote, unquote, good story. The first real theory purported by those involved with Don Lewis's personal life came from his daughters and his first ex-wife Gladys Lewis Cross in 1998, only one year after Don went missing. They made a public interview in People Magazine, theorizing that Carol Baskin had indeed killed Don and then disposed of his body via a meat grinder and then feeding it to her tigers at the big cat rescue sanctuary. Donna Pettis, one of Don's daughters, felt the police didn't do a thorough enough job searching the property and should have carried out forensic analysis on Carol's meat grinder, testing it for Don's DNA. Carol has vehemently denied such possibilities, claiming the meat grinder in question was too small to even handle something like a human hand, let alone an entire full grown adult male body. Not only this, but what many people fail to realize and what one documentary fails to make widely known is that the meat grinder in question was removed from the big cat rescue weeks before Don went missing, confirmed by the sheriff's office investigating Don's case. And if Carol did try to use a corpse as food for her big cats, there's absolutely no way bones and forensic evidence would not be left behind. The acidity of a tiger's stomach is strong, but not strong enough to completely destroy human remains. There would be a significant amount of bones, blood, and tissue left over, and to try to clean up every bit of the leftovers and leave absolutely no hints of the act is too far fetched to believe. Such a vile act, even if utilised, would leave behind too much evidence, and investigators certainly would have picked up on something. Nevertheless, these outlandish claims only picked up steam when notorious Big Cat collector and nemesis of Carol Baskin, Joe Exotic, created an obscene music video flaunting the tiger feeding hypothesis. But that wasn't his only crazy claim. Joe Exotic became obsessed with another theory that while Carol was still responsible for her husband's disappearance, she actually hid his body under the ground at Big Cat Rescue digging up the dirt where her septic tank rested and putting Don's body in that, covering it up and pretending as if nothing had happened. Joe made many public pleas for investigators to excavate the earth around the property and check the septic tank. And this idea spread around his own exotic zoo where employees began believing that same conclusion. However, the documentaries covering Joe and his theories also fail to share the information that debunks his theory as well. The septic tank in question in a similar vein to the meat grinder, was not installed on the Big Cat Rescue Sanctuary until multiple years after Don went missing. If Don was buried somewhere on the property, it was nowhere near the septic tank. In addition, it makes little sense for Carol to bury Don on her own property, where future digs and construction work will almost assuredly take place and risk discovery. Now, all this being said, to completely remove Carol Baskin as a suspect would be premature. While she has consistently denied any involvement, there are pieces to her past that might suggest a motive or at least further consideration. The major piece of the case that might preclude motivation for Carol is Don's promiscuity and overall stance on the wildlife projects he and Carol had created. It is well known that Don saw the tigers and various big cats as nothing more than a business and thought of it as a means to make money rather than any real charity. While they were initially together in that viewpoint, Carol eventually wanted the sanctuary to be exactly that, a place where rescued cats could live approved by fellow activists, saving them from immoral breeding and cub abuse. This requires a lot of money and Carol had Don to fall back on. Some in Don's inner circle said he hated losing his money to her spending and that being a millionaire married to someone without much money is a treacherous combination. But we mustn't pretend that Don was perfect either. He was also involved in various extramarital affairs, having multiple girlfriends despite his marriage to Carol, including a secret mistress down in Costa Rica with a clashing philosophy and a dying marriage, Carol may have sought to end what was becoming a toxic situation. In fact, pages from her personal diaries exposed by various sources found entries written by Carol stating things such as, quote, I wish there was some way out of her relationship with Don, not to mention her verbal threats. Eventually, her wish was granted and, most suspiciously of all, Carol Baskin did end up the biggest beneficiary of Don's vanishing. Not long after he went missing, Carol cut off all the utilities to Don's office, took out his wills and powers of attorney, and held onto them until the very first date she was allowed to declare him legally dead, the five-year and one-day anniversary of his disappearance. Even stranger was that when the powers of attorney were read, lawyers found that a special clause had been written granting Carroll head of Don's estate, not after his death, but specifically after his disappearance. Multiple lawyers have said this is an irregular clause for such legal documents, as people rarely expect to disappear. Not only that, but Carol ended up inheriting 90% of Don's worth, leaving just 10% behind for Don's former family. Now it should be stated that Don had instructed Carol to leave them with 0%, but she decided to help them regardless, citing their blood relationship to Don as meaningful. Does the strange disappearance clause in Don's will combined with his infidelity and strict business-minded pursuits make Carol the killer? No but it does raise suspicion in her motivations as millions of dollars were at stake to keep her dream of saving big cats alive. Some have pointed out that just because she had Don legally declared dead the first day possible doesn't mean she was the mastermind either. And they have a point. Wouldn't it be ridiculously obvious to carry out such a suspicious legal action? If Carol was indeed at fault, drawing attention to the matter wouldn't be her priority. It's also possible that she wasn't the killer, but rather had blood on her hands, arranging for someone else to handle Don. It is undoubtedly deeply suspicious. There are many people afraid of Carol, including Don himself, but fear, circumstantial evidence and speculation unfortunately does not mean the party is guilty without physical evidence. Of course, Carol Baskin isn't the only one subject to theories of involvement. In fact, many people wonder if Don wasn't involved with anything malicious or any third party at all, but rather left on his own accord or died trying to do so. With his vast resources and millions of dollars, Don certainly had the capital necessary to pull off a stunt and escape his previous life. Perhaps he was done with the big cat operation and the hassle of dealing with such a consuming business. Perhaps his affairs with women were catching up with him and he wanted to start over, or perhaps he was truly fearful of Carol and set up his estate so she would profit over his disappearance while he got to start over on the far side of the world. These theorists believe Don faked a kidnapping, fully intending to fly out of Miami that August morning and never return. He could have put his van in a different airport parking lot to throw police off his trail, hopped on another flight, and vanished in the blink of an eye. It's not out of the realm of possibility that Don had money outside of his known estates or was saving up for this exact scenario. Don was full of secrets and constantly plotting his next move, preparing for the future better than most. In fact, Don's personal handyman, Kenny Farr, told reporters he knew Don would bury money and gold bars around his various properties and was probably worth around 20 million 15 million more than his lawyers thought. Remember that Kenny was the person Don told, quote, if I can pull this off, it will be the slickest thing I've ever done in my life. Could it have been a great escape plan? Many think it to be possible, but not Kenny. He doesn't understand why Don would leave a van at an airport at all, even if it wasn't the right one. It would be too big a clue that Don was running away and make it much harder to become invisible. Both Don's lawyer, Joseph Fritz, and lead investigator of Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office, John Marcicano agree, saying Don was more likely to have been killed. The other argument that Don left on his own will but perished unexpectedly is also heavily gossiped. Some followers of the case, including Carol Baskin herself, think that Don may have got into one of his planes to fly to Costa Rica, but crashed somewhere in the ocean. There is, however, a lot of evidence to suggest this is false. Detective Marcecano points to the lack of flight records going to Costa Rica that day and the lack of crash reports in the area for the same timeline. Theorists then report that Don was a known illegal flyer, having lost his pilot's license, but choosing to fly anyway, operating his planes low and under radar detection. Yet again, Detective Massicano refutes these claims, saying every plane Don owned was far too small to make the trip to Costa Rica in one go. If Don did get in a plane and attempt to travel south, it would have been desperate and unsafe possibly hinting at a deteriorating state of mind that some have claimed that Don was suffering from before he disappeared. As previously noted, Don was experiencing symptoms of onset dementia and may have been overcome with fatigue, paranoia, or a combination of the two. This would explain his ramblings to his friends about being in fear for his life and constantly looking over his shoulder, conspiring against his then wife, Carol, The problem with this theory though, is that if Don was truly dealing with memory loss and dementia, he would not be able to successfully vanish without a trace so easily. If his mental faculties were becoming compromised, surely he would have made a mistake somewhere. Plus, a lot of close associates to Don don't believe the dementia stories anyway, saying he was of sound mind and honestly, genuinely terrified for his life. So if it doesn't appear that Carol killed Don and it wasn't Don who left by choice, who was responsible for his disappearance? A few people think Joe Exotic was actually the one to blame, wondering if he may have taken Don out to spite Carol and derail the future of wildlife on Easy Street, claiming the validity in such a conspiracy, knowing John was guilty of other plots against Carol's life. However, it should be noted that Joe and Carol's bitter rivalry did not exist in 1997, and no such evidence supports this idea. A few others point to militant animal rights activists or think that Don had connections to drug lords in South America that wanted him dead. Regardless, the fact of the matter is the police have no hard evidence and have no prime suspects in their sights. Anyone could be at fault. And that's what makes Don Lewis's disappearance all the more tragic. Before we divulge our hypothesis of Don Lewis's unsolved disappearance, we want to make it known that our conclusions presented in Cold Case Detective are purely logical speculation based on evidence, circumstance, and factual subtext. We are only privy to the same information presented in each video and we do not promise certainty or an expert guarantee on the findings we reach in closing. We simply observe, research, and report. In the case of Don Lewis, we believe he was kidnapped, murdered, or a combination of the two. So many of the people involved with Don and his life, such as business associates, family members, his personal lawyer, and the lead investigators looking for him believe the same to be true that somebody or some bodies wanted Don dead, whether it be for vengeance, spite, or pure malice. The tricky part of the equation is who. Without a doubt, Don Lewis's killer was both close to him and had the resources to carry out a seamless homicide. The perpetrator had to be close to Don to know of his planned trips to Costa Rica and multiple projects down there and be able to use that as a blind for investigators, tricking people into thinking he disappeared purposefully. Now, this doesn't necessarily trim down the list of suspects because Don had a lot of friends and a lot of enemies, each of whom knew of his Costa Rica paradise. Yet, it does signal the killer was smart and knew how to arrange a multifaceted kidnapping. In addition to smarts, the killer had to have the money to hire someone to get rid of Don or to do it themselves without ever leaving so much as a hair follicle. In the case of a multimillionaire like Don was, removing them from the face of the earth is going to take a pretty penny. So how did they do it? A lot is left to be desired in the investigation in terms of clues and concrete timelines. But if the killer was an associate to Don, they probably had secretly arranged a meeting early that August 18th morning with him. He was already out to make a delivery and head to Miami for a flight. So the arrangement was probably just another stop. It was here they likely kidnapped him, drove his van to the airport as a fake-out, and disposed of him elsewhere. There's also the idea that Don could be meeting someone with his own planes, and when they took off, he was pushed out over the ocean by his murderer, a theory brought up by his lawyer. Whatever the method was, it ended with a clean getaway. Could it have been Carol Baskin? It is entirely possible. In addition to the theories mentioned previously, Carol's own family had a disdain for Don. And speaking of her family, she also had a brother as a deputy in the sheriff's office who was one of the last people to be around Don right before he went missing. Plenty of people have come forward to quickly strike down theories of collusion in law enforcement or any involvement from Carol's brother, citing their weak relationship to begin with. Both Carol and Anne McQueen, the assistant who probably knew Don Lewis better than he knew himself, were intensely vetted by detectives, cleared of any wrongdoing and never labeled as prime suspects. It doesn't rule them out completely, but it does give credence to the fact there is simply no lead at the forefront of the investigation. It's important to remember that at the center of the entire case is a man whose fate is unknown the humanity and tragedy of which is sometimes obscured by the glorification of conspiracy theories and internet jokes. There are loved ones and friends of Don Lewis who are desperate for answers and longing to know what happened to him. But instead of receiving real help, they have to wake up every day to see his face and name abused by people looking to profit off his mystery and laughing at the idea that he was fed to tigers. It is so important to remember that the people in these cases were people, real people who deserve respect and justice and the abuse of their stories to make shocking headlines and quick money is insidious. Was Don Lewis a perfect man? No, by no stretch of the imagination. He, like all of us, had his issues and shortcomings, but at the end of the day, Don Lewis was a real person with a beating heart and deserved to live out the rest of his days, no matter how badly someone didn't like him or the businesses he involved himself with. Because of the tone and reception of certain documentaries made since Don disappeared, it is hard to get people to focus on finding answers rather than supporting the nonsense. So it is up to all of us to work, to progress above the overly dramatized conspiracy theories looking to shock viewers and readers to earn quick money and humanize Jack Donald Lewis and respect his case. If you or anyone you know has any information that could aid investigators in their search for Jack Donald Lewis, please reach out to the proper authorities. No piece of information is too small or insignificant for it could be the key to unlocking the chilling mystery of Don Lewis and his legacy left at Wildlife on Easy Street. This is Cold Case Detective. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Cold Case Detective Podcast. If you would like to support the show, you can do so by simply leaving a five-star review wherever you listen. It really helps us expand our reach and bring awareness to the cases we cover. If you would like us to investigate a specific case, perhaps even one close to home or that of a loved one, please fill out the submission form in the show notes. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next week with a new episode.